Good evening, Thomas. You flashed into colour as soon as I hit record. It was ah. almost like it was almost like it, being on this show with me, or me being on with you, injected some light into your day. It's the end of my noir phase. So <laughs> <laughs> look what I've got. What have you, you've got? Some beef jerky, sweet I'm and hot. Candy man later for uh, for our new show, which I haven't still haven't revealed the name of publicly. But by the time this is this show comes out, we will know. It is called Bloodlines. Candyman's our first episode with Damon, and I, I'm watching it tonight with some raw meat. <laughs> if you watch a horror film, you have to be eating something like raw and meaty, <laughs> uh, like a true cannibal. Um, yeah. yeah, so what else have you been up to? Busy week? Uh, well, it's only Monday. You I've got to be honest, I've had a very busy happy hour gaming oriented weekend around family life because I've been editing lots of shows. We've done a whole bunch of last orders. Somebody just got our asses together and did like eight last orders this week. We did. Um, I've edited all of them. I've been editing podcasts. I've got everything scheduled last night for the week. We've got six shows out this week. Crazy. Uh, what else have we done? We've got big plans for something coming up in March. Yep. There's lots going on. That's why I'm hoping, we, I'm hoping we'll announce next week on the after party. We will. I think that'll that'll be the right time to announce what's going on. So, little, even though plans may be flexible by then, still, but yeah, a little teaser there for everybody. Um, but just a tip. <laughs> yeah, you got just the end there. Uh, so yeah, I'm busy. I've got a lot of stuff going on at work, and I bought a themed beer. I, I was going to ask you about this. So I've been. You, you did mention earlier in the day. What have you got? A wicked wyvern. Oh, okay. So like a mythical creature. I like it. Yeah, yeah exactly. A fantasy, uh, an antagonist of a typical fantasy setting. I've got Doombar, so... Of course, of course, <laughs> of course I have. Apparently you have shares in Sharp's Brewery. Okay, so I did try and get a theme beer, and I had one in the cupboard, right? Oh. It was a Hobgoblin Gold, which would have been perfect. Yeah, I guess so. But it was... <laughs> guess what the date on it was? <laughs> August 2019. <laughs> I would have drunk it. To be honest, I've never ever had a beer go out of date. Well, yeah, but I didn't. Mm, yeah, I didn't even know it was there until uh, Kate told me the other day. So you should have drunk it <laughs> and see what happened. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, I was I was thinking of getting my fireball whiskey out because mages make fireballs. Oh, good link. Yeah, I mean, fire. Yeah, do it. Get some shots on the go. That'd be great. I just thought it was Monday. <laughs> yeah, man. Fucking munted for work. Anyway, welcome. Everybody to that eight bit shit show. End of um, season two. This is the final episode of the season, and um, I'm Adam, and I'm here with Tom as always, and we're looking at one of the biggest games that we could possibly be looking at for a, for a season closer. And that's Final Fantasy. Um, now, <sighs> where to start with this game? We've got a lot of info coming up in this one. Um, so this is a fancy role playing game, of course, um, developed by Square and published by Square as well. So they do a lot of their publishing in house. Um, came out in Japan in 1987 and in North America in 1990, so a three-year gap before it hit in the US market. Um, and an even bigger gap before very, we got our grubby mitts on it. Very large gap in the EU. We got it in 2003. For We actually never got the original game, did we? We, we first got a remake on the on PlayStation. PlayStation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the original was on the NES, of course. Um, Japan and America received that. And uh, what a fantastic game that sparked... One of the most important series in gaming, um, I think, 
everybody could agree with that. I think it's one of those games that the people who say Mario and Sonic, people who don't game, like your mum knows those games. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy are the games that people you don't have to be really up gaming's ass to be aware of this series and and it's it's longevity and legacy. But it's funny that you say what a fantastic game because that's one of the things we're going to go into later. Is it is absolutely a fantastic game in terms of how important it is, how revolutionary it is. But unlike some of the aforementioned games like Mario and Sonic, we'll probably learn that it doesn't hold up all that well. Potentially, but I think there's anyway. There's certainly two sides to that argument, and we'll we'll certainly be delving into that a little bit later on. But um, I, th- I think for context, neither of us are nostalgic about this game. Yeah, we, we need to get set that straight from the off, is that neither of us played it when it came out. Um, yeah, we'll try and be fair on the game, but... It is difficult, because we're going back and looking at something which, at the time, which we'll get into, is is a completely revolutionary title. Um, and it's it's all about how how well it's held up today when we're looking at it, and it's you know may, maybe not quite so, so good now, but... Yeah, when we looked at Sonic at the season opener for season two, we were just basically spunking on each other's chests and being like, oh, it's the best game ever made. Well, because we, we both loved it as a kid. So there's another soundbite for, for, for the show reel at the end. Spunking on each other's chests. <laughs> it's true, though. Via the medium of, of yeah. you know, webcam. It's a wonderful metaphor. It didn't really happen. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> Uh, so for some context for where um, Final Fantasy fits in. So that 8 Bishop show, as always, it's all about cataloging gaming's history one game at a time. And to do that, we we often uh, will dive into what else was around at the time. Um, so in 1987, Konami released Contra. Uh, Nintendo released Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Uh, IREM releases R-Type, big title. Um, Capcom releases two games, Street Fighter and Mega Man. Uh, Konami released two titles, Mega, uh, Metal Gear sorry, and Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest. We've already covered two of the games on this list so far. We have. Our third game from 1987. Uh, Sega releases Fantasy Star, um, and then Square releases Dragon Quest 3. And those two are the most relevant here, because they are both big RPGs coming out in the same time. And we'll learn that Fantasy uh, Dragon's Quest is, is a huge influence on Final Fantasy, but Fantasy oh. Star came out the same week as this game. Did? Hang on. Dragon Quest 3. I thought Enix made that. They did. Aha. I don't know why that says Square released. Yeah. So I just wanted to make yeah, make that correction. It was it was Enix yes, because nice. they had a uh, obviously a bit of a rivalry back then. It would then. have been funny if Square had released Dragon, <laughs> Dragon Quest 3. <laughs> um, of course, Dragon Warrior 3 in the West. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my beer now. Oh, here we go. Oh, I was going to put it in a glass, but my glass is half full of Nancy water. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, I'm going to drink the water first. Hold on, continue. I'll drink this water and then I'll make room for my beer. Okay, so making a return this episode, Tom, we're looking at uh, the on-the-box um, section. So on the in, box. in past shows, we've looked at the back-of-the-box quote, but uh, we thought we'd bring it back because it's a cool feature. And um, Final Fantasy, what a what a lovely bit of box We're art. now doing on-the-box front and back because we only covered the box art in Mega Man because it was fucking awful. Yeah, but, but this... This is completely different, isn't it? So to describe sort of the front of the box for people that may not be aware of what it's all about. We have a, a, what appears to be a short sword and a battle axe crossed with some kind of crystal ball in the middle depicting possibly a faraway land. Yeah, so you get in a, a very Dungeons and Dragons it's style very image. It's a never-ending story or something like that. Like, mm. 
it's 80s fantasy through and through. It's perfect. Yeah. You know what you're getting when you look at the front of the box, don't you? You know exactly what you're going to get from this game. Um, and so the back of the box quote tells us that an evil shroud covers the world in darkness. You must restore the powers of earth, wind, fire, and water to the four orbs. Heat. <laughs> Heart. Sorry. Captain Not- Planet. <laughs> you know he's my favourite. You love that recycling. I do. Create your own band of uh, four light warriors from fighters, thieves, martial artists, and music- musician- uh, musicians. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> They're trusty loot. <laughs> Magicians. Sorry. You'll need all their skills to triumph in this massive role-playing adventure. Um, your treacherous journey takes you to all parts of a strange new world. Explore dungeons, castles, and dark caverns where deadly perils and great rewards await at every turn. Hundreds of ferocious monsters block your path. With patience, skill, and cunning, you can defeat them. Come, begin your quest. Enter an enchanted new world. Command your warriors. Prepare to face the final fantasy, a world shrouded in the darkness of evil. Your mission, to restore the light. It falls apart in that last paragraph, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's a bit of a punctuationary nightmare. It's a little bit, uh, yeah, too punchy. Um, also, shout out that they refer to mages as magicians, because I've actually, like... Never really linked them. Well, Obviously, mage short for like magic. Whatever, don't you but. think though? Mage sounds a lot cooler than magician. Like, well, magician, I think he's going to do a card trick. Exactly, he's going to pull a, a rabbit out of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas a mage is going to fuck you up with some elemental powers. Um, hard. So, as always, we're going to dive into the backstory to this one, um, but also looking at the backstory of Square. Um, yeah, first time Square have appeared. Um, you know, we all know where Square ended up, um, and we, we we know about Square Enix. But Tom, what 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 was Square? What where did it all come from? Where did it start? Square. So, so let's talk about the history of Square up to nineteen eighty seven, okay? Because this was Square's first major release, and it's really defined the company ever since. It is. This is the poster for Square Enix, and what Square and SquareSoft before, and Square Co. So. Square today are responsible for Final Fantasy, Kingdom Hearts, and Dragon Quest, or Square Enix. Square and Square Enix are one of the most successful companies at publishing internally developed, as you alluded to earlier, um, and third-party JRPGs in the West. Now, that's notable because we'll talk about this a bit more later, but the RPG was typically a Western genre adopted by Square to really start, and Enix as well, to really proliferate the Japanese-style RPG, the JRPG, which is a genre of its own, and fucking hugely loved globally, and always will be hugely loved, and just comes with all its quirks and nuances that JRPGs are known for. Uh, it's also, you know, there's other groups like Atlas, who publish Persona and de- develop games like that, and they Bando and Namkai do, like, did like Dark uh, Demon Souls, Dark Souls, mm-hmm. things like that. So there's bigger, big reasons now, but Square are probably the most famous. And it's due to Final Fantasy, because that is the best known, I would think, JRPG series oh. for casual gamers. Yeah, it definitely is, yeah. Everyone's played a Final Fantasy at some point, you know what I mean? Um, one of the most popular franchises to originate for Square is Final Fantasy, which has its roots in the early days of the company, long, long, long before the merger, of Enix, merger with Enix, as we know, the first game being in 1987. So Square were actually formed in 1983, and they are a computer game software subdivision of a company called Denusha. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's uh, the company Square is formed by uh, Masafumi Miyamoto, 
So this is the, the second biggest Miyamoto in gaming after Shigeru Miyamoto, who created Mario. And his father owns uh, Denyusha. And Denyusha are actually a... Um, I've got it in here. What did they do? They were... Um, have I missed it out of here? I think so. But th- this was set up as like a software division of that company. So Yes, but Denyusha are... And this is really important, and I must have, when I was editing this, just... Uh, yeah, they're a power line construction company. Wow. Okay, <laughs> so that's yeah. important. Like, so basically, dad has this company, and son is coming up in the company, and he says, dad, I don't want to do your fucking power lines. I'm going to set up a subdivision within your business of computer game software. And uh, dad goes, all right, bankrolls it. So Miyamoto has this unorthodox approach to game design because previously games were typically designed, built, everything done by programmers. Because, you know, i got to work on computers. I'm going to be a pro- hire programmers. That's the people who know that stuff. Makes sense. Which says a lot about, you know, some of the maybe lack of scope from a creative standpoint of earlier video games. Yeah, definitely. So Miyamoto says, well, what we're going to do now is we're going to create teams. And we're going to have, um, it's going to be more efficient, produce better results if we have graphic designers, programmers, and professional story writers working together on common projects. So the programmers can focus their time on putting the code in. The story writers can take care of that, and the graphic designers can do the artwork. And as we know, that's how games are developed today. So really, like, kind of, I'm sure other teams were doing this, but he's seen as kind of the godfather of that way of making video games that we do today. Now, I don't think he needs all that credit for that, because that would have been figured out anyway. Yeah, you know, it would. Like, like, people they, would have all gone... Business, all businesses, as they grow, yeah. subdivide into teams. Yeah. But Square's first game is called The Death Trap, and it has a sequel called Will, colon, The Death Trap 2, are both designed by a part-time employee called Hironobu Sakaguchi. And Sakaguchi is known for Final Fantasy, okay? He's like the, the guy who made Final Fantasy. And it's released on the NEC PC-A8-1. See, I've a got... Console, uh, well, a, a computer that we'll probably never cover again on this fucking show. I've and got a Square... PC too now, so, you know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Square... Uh, kind of initially reluctant to enter console market because obviously computers offer you quite a bit more flexibility and the console market then was the NES, the Famicom. Yeah, yeah. Which meant money to Nintendo and, you know, licensing rights and cartridge allocations and all that kind of stuff we talked about before. But they do so in 1985 by porting a game called Fexter to the Famicom. So they act as a port house on that game. In 1986, Miyamoto breaks the company away from Denusha, and he forms Square Co. Limited, so it becomes his own independent company. And at this time, Sakaguchi joins the company as a full-time employee under the title Director of Planning and Development. And then Square go on to release several unsuccessful games for the Famicom, and then relocate to Tokyo in 1987. So Square really fucking don't do anything at this point. Like, up to the point of Final Fantasy coming out, they've kind of failed. Yeah, they're not doing great. But, uh... So... Sakaguchi. Yeah, the head was... Sorry, Tom. I was Sorry. Just say, Sakaguchi becomes sort of a an instrumental figure as we'll we'll come to find out. But um, yeah, at this point, very much not doing anything at all apart from moving location. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll skip ahead and then skip back a bit. Okay, so basically, Square was heading towards bankruptcy, and the next game sort of expected to be the last one. But then, they're inspired by Enix's success of Dragon Quest, they develop Final Fantasy, and it becomes the first hit. It sells four hundred thousand copies and ultimately saves the whole world and business. So, what I think we need to do is, before we go into Sakaguchi, what is this game they made? 
Yeah, I think it's important to to talk about this here because and this I mean, is something we don't always do. But if you've never played it before, yeah, we we don't always. But I think it's it's right to to introduce it because, as you say, Enix has seen Dragon Quest and gone shit. I want a piece of that action. People are loving that. But so they they, they set it to make their own. So Final Fantasy is a, a party based role playing game where you control a party of four warriors who explore an overworld of dungeons and towns. Uh, whilst on an epic quest to save the world. Um, now, along the way, you'll encounter many creatures and enemies to do battle with, and that will grant your party members experience points. So you've got this system of levelling up your characters uh, and building your party. Um, and that will allow you to have things like higher resilience, higher damage output, which was essential to beat harder areas of the game. Um, the game is also quite highly story-driven and acts as a, an animated visual representation of probably a tabletop game, so like your Dungeons & Dragons style game, um, where the game itself does all of that uh, background calculation for you. And it plays as Dungeon Master, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Like, this, this is a tabletop RPG for someone with no friends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or somebody with, uh, I guess, a It's an opportunity to time. It's a fantastic idea, because... The tabletop RPGs are, are great. They're fucking brilliant. They're really fun. They're super nerdy now. And they like it's kind of you know it can a... be hard to find a group of people that want to do that with you. Yeah, but back in the eighties, D and D was massive, and what they were trying to do was find a way of translating that experience onto the screen, mm-hmm. um, which does allow you to then control all the party members, have the story told to you by someone, have all the 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 background stuff, the DM stuff. So when if you play D and D, ad, I've got the the books here. And there's three books like that thing that write how to be the dungeon master. Yeah. And the key to being a good dungeon master is to be able to move the game along. Okay. So it's not always about knowing everything. It's about being able to confidently just move the game along. And and this does that because it does all that background calculations. It does all those things in place. Now, is it as enigmatic as having a real life dungeon master? Of course it's not because you're never going to get a game that is. No, quite. You're not going to have but the personality. But it sets the rule and it tells you the stories and you can watch your decisions play out on screen. Yeah, and and at the time, 1987, like, that just, you know, it wasn't a common thing to to, to be sort of translated into this format. Um, so, yeah, it, it was probably such an exciting thing to, if you're a fan of, like, a tabletop gaming, like, anything like that, Dungeons and Dragons, anything like that, you'd be fucking stoked when this came out yeah and even if not even if you were just curious of that genre this gives you a great entry point yeah precisely so that gives people a, a bit of an understanding of what final fantasy is and what it's sort of setting out to do um so let's let's jump back to uh sakaguchi and and who he is and what his importance is to all of this well so he is actually 21 when he joins square which is, is kind of wild but so as we said, Square are a kind of small company coming into this difficult market, and the Famicom's gathering momentum with... They recently have releases like Mario Bros, Legend of Zelda. So expectations for games are becoming increasingly high because you know those two mentioned there are incredible, incredibly high-quality games. Uh, and opportunities were exciting and seemingly limitless because video game technology is just improving at such an exponential rate that it seems like there's a limitless opportunity to do what you want. If you can come up with the idea, the technology is going to catch up with you. Um, so Sakaguchi and his team get to work on various games, including Rad Racer, which is a dope name. Radical. Um, we showed the team could develop, but there's a problem. They never, they never sell anything. That is a bit of a problem, isn't it? <laughs> it's, a, it's a big fucking problem, to be honest. Uh, 
so Sakaguchi's becoming increasingly like pessimistic, and he be- believes that the next game for his the company will be his last. And it was time to go in and all give it a shot and make one final game. Ah, important yeah. word there, final. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a cool, like, one of the most told stories of Final Fantasy, where it gets the name, but it's actually not true. Well, it's only partly true. So against what we know today, RPGs are predominantly actually a Western genre. See, that is, we, yeah, that is a, a really big misconception, I think. Yeah, we associate uh, video game RPGs to be a Japanese mm-hmm. um, thing. And they, they kind of were, but they took inspiration from Western tabletop RPGs. And now Western video game RPGs are taking inspiration from <laughs> Japanese games. And there's a lot of back and forth in that genre. But the Western genre is creeping into the Japanese market. And for that reason, Square didn't really want to make a new RPG series. But Sakuchi's given the go-ahead, basically on the back of the success of Dragon Quest, which shows that there is um, viability of that genre on the Famicom platform. And the game takes inspiration from Dragon Quest, takes inspiration from Ultima and Wizardry, which are all games we're going to cover at some point. God save us. And it has a working title, Fighting Fantasy. But unfortunately, that's already taken by a series of tabletop games. So, yeah. Out the window. Nakaguchi says anything starting with an F would be fine for the title. Ad, can you think of anything starting with an F that you could put? Frog Fantasy? <clears throat> Fucking Fantasy. Elch Paste Fantasy. Foreplay Fantasy. There's lots. Uh, Frog Scottle Fantasy. <laughs> Frothy Fantasy. Yeah. Foaming <laughs> Fantasy. <laughs> We're roaming, we're roaming into the realms of the inappropriate here. Philbo Fiddle Pie Fantasy. Great little shout out. Tom's Twitter handle. So, yeah, we get Final Fantasy, and it's kind of whether it was intentional at the time or if Sakaguchi likes to go back and drop the whole, oh, I thought it was the final game, so Final Fantasy, blah, blah, blah. Maybe, maybe not. It's a nice story. Yeah, I'm going to believe it. Fuck it. I think I'm going to call him out on his fucking bullshit. <laughs> Fuck's sake. So, yeah. But then, yeah, so other games prove viability of the genre in electronic form. Um, RPGs are the stable of the tabletop gaming genre, and that's where Final Fantasy draws most of its reference. Notably, the battle system, which you talked about earlier, how you have this party-based battle system, by looking at such games as Dungeons & Dragons. Then Sakaguchi also brings in um, Yoshitaka Amano, who's the artist behind the Vampire Hunter D anime, to create the visual design. So this is part of the ethos of how you design games. And the audio is composed by now series veteran, Noburo Uematsu, which I've completely butchered, but I apologize. And the audio and visuals combined to make what at the time was a very polished product. And some of those songs in Final Fantasy 1 are, well, they're so recognizable now. Iconic. And the last thing I wanted to say about the development ad is there was seven of them made this game. And typically in a, the Square Studios and other studios now, you were finding around 20 developers on a project. So this led to like led to like a lack of confidence from Sakaguchi. So he said he ended up pushing the team harder than ever. I think he was a bit of a bastard sometimes. Uh, but this ended up like hugely important to the company's history. And frankly, Square wouldn't exist today without Final Fantasy. Yeah, quite. I think... Um, oh, I've rambled there, but... T- no, it's... Covers a lot of ground. That's the backstory to everything. And... You know, it's important to understand that we are we always delve into the backstory of games, but I don't think many have such a, an interesting and rich history as this does. Um, to know that seven people put this together because it's a big game; it's a very big game, um, especially for the time. <laughs> um, so, this is uh, Final Fantasy takes place in a fantasy world with three large continents. So, 
already understanding like this is going to be a bit of a, a behemoth. Um, the elemental powers of the world are determined by the state of four crystals um, or orbs, um, each governing one of the four classical elements, earth, fire, water, and wind. By the um, way, the beer is good. Is it good? Yeah, Excellent. I like that. What was it again? Dang. Wicked Wyvern. Is it a Wyvern or a Wyvern? I've always said Wyvern, but fuck knows. I don't know. I'm going I'm going with Wyvern, Wyvern then. Just to, <laughs> just to just be, be contrary. contrary. Uh, yeah. yeah. But um, so the world of Final Fantasy is inhabited by uh, a number of different races. So you've got humans, elves, dwarfs, mermaids, dragons, and robots. Really interesting robots. So you see that. <laughs> I was waiting for We've got white people. We've got... <laughs> <laughs> Where are we going with this? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Uh, Robots is an interesting one because fantasy games traditionally would not delve across uh, genres like sci fi. Final Fantasy does sci fi. Exactly. Yeah. Always has. Um, Most of the non human races that are in the game um, only have one, they're only in one town. Um, But you can sometimes find them spread across other areas in the game, other towns as well. Um, now, the backstory to this is 400 years prior to the start of the game where you find yourself at the beginning. The Lefinish people, who use the power of wind to craft airships and a giant space station called the Floating Castle, which is obviously something which becomes important later on in the series, um, they watched their country decline as the wind crystal went dark. 200 years later, violent storm sank a massive shrine that served as the centre of an ocean-based civilization and the water crystal went dark. The earth crystal and the fire crystal followed, plaguing the earth with raging wildfires and devastating the agricultural town of Melmond as the plains and vegetation decayed. Sometime later, the sage Lucan tells of a prophecy that four light warriors will come to save the world in a time of darkness. So there's your backstory. What a fucking bucket of nonsense. It's crazy. I mean, it's... Why do they overwrite these games? <laughs> yeah. I think the thing with, with this game is you write your own story anyway. Um, yeah, it's it's as with any good RPG, they 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 set the framework and they set the potential for great stories to be told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they've got this this rich backstory, but realistically, it, it it's far too in depth for for what's needed. But it, you'll often find that with these types of games, won't you? Um, how far do you want to delve into the story, Tom? Like, Balls do we, deep. Do you want to go full on into it? I think it's really important, Ad, because I'm going to say. I have a, I didn't spend as long with this game as I planned to. When I listened back to the um, season one after party today, in advance of us doing the season two, and it was funny to see what happened there. We changed the order for some of the shows. We took one out. We changed things. And I was so stoked at the time to get in and play this. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to play this first. I've got a few weeks to get into it. And I tried and tried and tried again, and it just doesn't gel with me. And we'll talk about our opinions. And it's not a slight on the game at all. It's just I wasn't there at the time, man. And one of the things that does really intrigue me, though, is the story of this. And I think more than most games, it is super important because when we cover other Final Fantasy entries down the line, we'll see that there are some narrative threads here. There are some, you know, it's they're not narratively continuous tales. I don't know that there's any direct sequels apart from when you get things like Final Fantasy 13, 13, 2, you know, things like that. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I think we should go through the story. Yeah. I'm happy to listen to your re- retelling okay. of the tale of the Four Light Warriors. Well, let me take you back to the beginning then. So, uh, <laughs> I was born. <laughs> the game begins uh, with the appearance of Do you want to play a pack of crisps? Or is it... I fucking, as long as you go on mute, that's fine. 
<laughs> I have some piri piri crisps here. I fucking love them. You're dying to eat those? No, I'll eat them later when I'm watching Candyman. Nice. So the game begins with the appearance of the uh, four youthful light warriors. Now, youthful is important there. Um, yeah, it is. And that's one of the coolest things about the game. Bear that in mind for later. Old. Exactly. So they're the heroes of the story who each carry one of the darkened orbs. And initially, the light warriors have access to the kingdom of Kuneria, which later becomes something else uh, in the series. But we'll, we'll touch on that when we look at later games. Um, and the ruined temple of Fiends. After the warriors rescue Princess Sara from the evil knight Garland, the king of... Which, K- which we'll talk about the gameplay, but that plays out as like you, you get there and you're given your whole quest. It's like, go defeat Garland. And you're like, all right, that's like the overall quest we're going to do. And then you instantly go and fight Garland. You say instantly. It takes about an hour. Um, yeah, but it's pretty instant for a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, yeah, of course. And and that's kind of the, one of the big twists, actually, is where you um, you go and you get your mission. You're right. The princess has been taken by Garland. Um, go and rescue her. And you think, right, that set me up for my quest. Like Zelda. And, like you know, princess has been taken. Go rescue. Um Mario or any other fucking NES game at the time. Exactly, yeah. But that's that's kind of the big twist. So Aiza's uh, got his big old dino dick out again and he's kidnapping princesses. <laughs> Waving it about. <laughs> oh, his spiny bell end. Like a God. fucking Stegosaurus's tail. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Graphic. I'm not sure Nintendo would approve. Uh so anyway. He's like he's like Donald Trump, Bowser is. He's been impeached twice. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, desecrated the uh, the character of Peach there. Desecrated the sacred vagina of Princess Peach. <laughs> <laughs> okay. After the warriors rescue Princess Sara from Garland, the King of Canaria builds a bridge, which then enables the Light Warriors' uh, passage east to the town of Provoca. And there, the Light Warriors liberate the town from Bicker and his band of pirates and acquire the pirate ship for their own use. So that's the point in the game where you get use of this ship. And again, opens the world up to you. And that happens several times, doesn't it? It's like steps of openness. Exactly. So you're you're becoming more and more au fait with how the world works and how to traverse it and things like that. So the warriors then embark on a train of delivery quests uh, on the shores of the Aldi Sea. Aldi. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> we've got some beans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a sea. Like, the, the, the sea splits and on one side. You've got like baked beans and olive oil on the other side there's like discounted ski gear ah frozen goods <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, like a, a workbench <laughs> <laughs> so they they go into aldi and they first they, when they're in aldi they retrieve a stolen crown which you found in the middle aisle always <laughs> in the- <laughs> they, well they get it from the marsh cave which is sort of the back um and they retrieve that for a king in a ruined castle who turns out to be the dark elf ass toss uh, <laughs> or Astos. No, Astos. <laughs> Astos, maybe. Um, Is he related to, to Fucker? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, if you watch it, well, you won't actually see it because um, we started playing uh, an unplugged for this and uh, realized we had a oh, wrong. We're going to post it. Oh, okay. It, actually, yeah, no, we kept it, didn't we? Yeah. yeah no, we're, we're posting. We said we were going to do a second unplugged and then we decided we don't like the game, so we're not going to do a second unplugged. Oh, of course. Well, we did. We did. We are posting our unplugged of the first bit, so that'll be eight by the time this comes out. Of course, it will. Um, where we we played a dodgy rom that someone had changed all the names to things like fuck ass. <laughs> it probably was him. Anyway, defeating him gains them the crystal eye, which they return to the blind witch Matoya in exchange for a herb needed to awaken the elf prince cursed by Astos. 
<laughs> I can't say that seriously. The Elf Prince gives the Light Warriors the Mystic Key, which is capable of unlocking any door. So this key uh, unlocks a strange room in Canaria Castle. So when you first go to the castle, well, you Canaria, can unlock any room in Canaria Castle. Well, that's that's the uh, myth, myth, mythos behind it. Um, they, they talk about it when you go to the castle the first time and say, find the mysterious key. Um, that cast, that room that you can unlock anyway, it holds TNT. Nerik, one of the dwarves of the Cave of Dwarfs slash Dwarf Village, destroys a small isthmus using the TNT. What's an isthmus? Well, I'm going to find that out as you look now. Uh, which connects the Aldi Sea to the outside world. It must be like a cave. I don't know. It's a narrow strip of land that connects two larger land masses and separates two bodies of water. Isthmuses have been strategic locations for centuries. So They're okay. neutral sites for ports, canals, linking terrestrial and aquatic trade routes. Like the Panama Canal, then. Okay. It's cool. a bit of land mm-hmm. that joins two... Yeah, like a little bit that joins two bigger bits. Got you. So they go and destroy that. And again, that's another area where you've opened up a... You a, need a lot of fucking TNT. You would. You really would. So, after them visiting the near ruined town of Melmon, the Light Warriors go to the Earth Cave to defeat a vampire and retrieve the Star Ruby, which gains passage to Sage Sado's cave. With <laughs> with Sado's rod... <laughs> Whoa, the Warriors ventured... I'm such a fucking child. Like, oh. When Sado's rod, the Warriors ventured deeper into the Earth Cave and destroy the Earth Fiend Lich. The Earth Warriors then obtain a canoe. And enter Gugu Volcano. Oh, there's all this epic shit happening. It's like then they get a canoe. <laughs> guys, guys, I've had a canoe. And then they go into a volcano in a canoe. Bad idea, guys. <laughs> Not ideal. But they there they defeat the fire fiend Kerry. Kerry? Kerry. Gary. The Leveston from the nearby ice cave allows them to raise an airship to reach the northern continents. So fucking hell, you're really opening up now and you've 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 got the power of flight. Um after they prove their courage by retrieving the rat's tail from the castle of Ordeal, great name, the king of dragons, Bahamut. The king of dragons, Bahamut, promotes each light, light warrior. So that is where your characters have been through all this stuff. And this is an optional area of the game, this, this king yeah, of dragons. You, you, you grow up, don't you? And you become, your classes evolve into new classes. And you, you feel by that point that you've really been on a quest and like, Grown. Man, I feel like that just listening to you go through the story. Except, well, it's a quest, isn't it? It's, it's meant to be like that. Um, if I'm boring anyone, I apologise, but this is important shit. So once you've been promoted to your new classes, which we will talk about in a bit, uh, your kind gesture is repaid by a fairy receiving spe- a special liquid that produces oxygen, and the warriors use it to help defeat the water fiend Kraken in the sunken shrine. They also recover a slab, which allows a linguist named Dr. Unna to teach them the Lafinish language. The Lafinish, who we met earlier, then give the Light Warriors access to the floating castle that Tiamat, the Wind Fiend, has taken over. So with the four friend, uh, fiends defeated and the orbs restored, a portal opens in the Temple of Fiends, which takes them 2,000 years into the past. So fucking hell, you're time-travelling as well now. There, the Warriors discover that the four fiends sent Garland, now the Archdemon Chaos, back in time, and he sent the fiends to the future to do so, creating a time loop by which he could live forever. The Light Warriors subsequently defeat Chaos, thus ending the paradox and return home. But this is a big twist. By ending the paradox, the Light Warriors have changed the future to one where their heroic deeds remain unknown outside of legend. What a journey. 
Like I've, it's wild. The reason we've had to do the story like that is because if you listen to our last podcast, it was outside of eight bit shit show. We talk about it, we go through, we talk about the game scenarios, all this kind of stuff, and the story is told as you play the game. Whereas this game, the story is told to you bit by bit in between many many hours of fighting random battles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and then a few a few named boss fights and. Yeah, so to understand obviously what you're going to be doing during during the game, you need to understand what's what the, what the story is. So, um, as you say, that isn't told to you at the start of the game or at the end of the game. That that's how you live it. That's that's every time I see Leafnish, I think of Greg Lopefish. How? Oh, what a legend! What a great guy Greg is. <laughs> I hope I hope he's doing good. Um, he still floats around Facebook under the moniker Lopefish. Nice. What a legend. One of our school friends, uh, Tom. So that that brings us on to gameplay and as you said we didn't spend a great deal of time ourselves with this i played it for a few hours how did you find it um i couldn't do it frankly i i wrote a gameplay diary here this is i wrote this as i was uh i don't know you read my gameplay diary okay (laughs) it's bullet pointed so i'm gonna read this out as you've written it so tom's gameplay diary what do these classes do how do you exit the name entry screen Okay, let's buy some weapons. I have 400 gold, which will get me one thing per dude, basically. Why does my thief only do one damage with a rapier? Ah, magic has limited turns. Ah, if I target a monster with multiple party enemies and it dies after the first attacks, the rest of the attacks are wasted. Okay, I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) So there's your gameplay diary. Um, Yeah, it kind of went the same for me, to be fair. I, I spent a couple of hours with it, and... I'm going to be honest, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. What I ended up actually doing was going and watching uh, a guy who like played Final Fantasy when he was a kid um, and then revisited it in 2017 for the 30th anniversary. And like he nailed the game. He knew exactly what he was doing. And it was, it was really satisfying to watch him play through the game. Because um, when you know what you're doing, it's clearly a really good experience. We've grown resistant to games that don't explain anything. And it's weird in a post-Dark Souls world where Dark Souls did that. It intentionally didn't explain shit. But then because that game came out and it was the zeitgeist at the time and that was something fresh, the whole internet was abuzz with discovering this game together. That was part of the game. This obviously is not happening for Final Fantasy 1 now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was incredibly frustrating to go back in and have absolutely nothing explained to you. And, you know, the the menus and stuff, it's big, chunky text. This was for low-resolution graphics. They don't have full descriptions on the menu. Things are very, very vague, what the fuck they're doing. Uh, it, you can figure it out, and you can get some enjoyment out of it, but I found that it was so difficult not to just wander off. And, and you know, I was trying to just level my guys a bit, and then I'd go a bit far north and get into a battle I couldn't handle. Yeah. Die and- it took me a while to figure out I could actually equip stuff. Like... You buy it, but you have to go into your menu and equip it. I did not know that for a while. So, yeah. It, I it's... might have not done that. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly what we're talking about. It's um, It becomes <laughs> a lot easier when you start equipping the stuff you've bought. Uh, so that was something I learned towards the end of my place on with it. And by that point, I was a little bit drained. Because I think the thing you've got to understand is that the encounters are very repetitive. Um, oh, God, aren't they? And you have the, encounters, to... the encounters in Dungeons and Dragons are incredibly repetitive, but the idea is you've got someone going in D and D. There's no limit to what you can do because you go into an area and a, the dungeon master is going to be like, "You went to a cave, 
there's a pit of lava in between you and there's three goblins on the other side at a distance. One of them's hiding behind a rock. And then you talk amongst yourselves. You go, I'm going to fire my arrow. And then because you're the player, you can say anything. You can say, I'm going to fire my arrow at the goblin. And then you roll two dice based on the goblin score versus your score. Does it hit or not? But you could say, I fire my arrow at a stalagmite hanging from the ceiling above him. Then it's up to the dungeon master to react and say, oh, you need to roll a dexterity score of this and, and create that story with you as you go. That's the level of freedom that could never be captured mm. on an encounter per encounter basis on an RPG of the scale, which is why the encounters do become just a number crunch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, you're not doing any of the number crunching yourself. You've got the system doing that in the background for you. But essentially, what you're doing is um, it, it's obviously turn based. So you're, you're setting up your characters to either do a basic hand to hand attack with with a weapon, or if you've got mages, then they're going to either cast a spell on the enemy or cast a spell on yourself, like a protection spell or something. Um, I think you do have to do some number crunching, though, Ad. One of the points I raised was that if you target the first goblin with all four of your party and the first of your party kills him, the other three attacks are wasted. So you are trying to go, oh, hang on, that guy's... I killed him on one hit with 10 damage before. Okay. So I'm trying to remember, like, oh, this guy's likely to do X amount of damage. That guy has that much health points. Okay, so it still becomes a bit of a juggle, to be honest. I guess so. You have to strategize, of course. Like, yeah, massively, and that's like the one saving grace of the gameplay. Yeah, you really do have to. Right, so you've got a, um, you know, you've got a, a have much percentage chance to hit this guy, and obviously you're going to miss sometimes, and you've got to calculate way, who's going to do what very often. Yeah, that you miss. Um, but I think that's repaid in the fact that the enemy misses you just as often. Um, so. I just think that gameplay loop now is very hard to enjoy. Whereas if if you maybe played it when it came out and it was had that nostalgia hit for you, there's far too much grinding you have to do with that gameplay to to enjoy it. Because I think the th- the thing is, you do have that feeling of progression. You are leveling. You're getting gold and stuff. And games, um, you know, we we look at things like Mario and and stuff that came out, they were very, you turn it on, you play, you turn it off when you're done, when you turn it back on, you're starting again. Mm-hmm. And there was some password system and things like this. Now, yes, there's a big feeling of progression in the story. Your guys get older. It's a very long story. There's also the fact that you're, you know, you're continuing through multiple playthroughs. So when you go back, you're with your characters who are progressed. So yes, there's a lot of time investment on something that's very repetitive, but playing it at the time, that was invested time. Yeah. Whereas we're trying to play it to review it for a show or to talk about it for a show. Whereas that invested time for me is just to see the rest of the story. That's that's what I wanted to see from it as well. So yeah, you're exactly right. But I, I think I got to understand it. Like, so you every time you have an encounter, you'll get a certain if you win that encounter, you get a certain number of experience points, and you'll get a certain amount of gold from that. And depending on the difficulty of the enemy, it will it will rise and fall. And this this forms the foundation. Of or this doesn't fall because it came from Dragon Quest, it came from other games, but these games made the foundation for every RPG system today, anyway. So, this is only a simplified loop of the gameplay loop we've all come to love if we play RPGs now. Yes, so yeah. we're not, I'm not struggling in any way to understand the hook of the game, not at all. No, because the, the, the satisfaction is in seeing your characters grow. Um, that you know, it's 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 never going to get old that that mechanic is it people are always going to enjoy that so um like, like we said about base building in cnc yeah exactly that's putting time in and seeing something get bigger is <laughs> <laughs> so, 
such a child. Why am I laughing at that? Sorry. Uh, Add. Add. Yeah. Penis. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay, so I think what what we need to do... (laughs) It's the last show. Fuck it. Who cares? Monge tits. (laughs) Um, Eat tits. Um, Let's... For people who... (laughs) For people who haven't played this and who aren't likely to go back and actually give it a go. Let's talk through sort of what what actually goes on when, you, when you're playing the game. Um, take Tom, take us through sort of some of the mechanics, some of the things that are happening. So, so fucking fantasy has four basic game modes. There's four, there's four modes. There's the overworld map, the town, the dungeon maps, and the battle screen. And there's a menu screen, but okay. So... The overall map is where you're traveling around. This is a, a scaled down version of the game's fictional world, and the player uses your characters you, to you know travel to various locations, and you're following different quest lines to, to know. I need to go here and do this. That's your journey time. Okay. Now along those ways, which you know you do travel by foot, by ship, by canoe, and much later on, obviously the airship. Uh, with the exception of some pre- battles in preset locations with bosses, enemies are randomly count. You don't see them. Mm-hmm. That's a big now, thing. I can't remember. I think it was 13 that first visualized the enemies you're going to encounter. Oh, really? Was that late on? Yeah, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, because I'm not a big Final Fantasy sort of um, aficionado. Pokemon only just did it in Sword and Shield, Dad. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, That's so interesting. Random battles have just been there forever. Uh, so, yeah, you'll f- find random battles, but you do have the opportunity to flee from them. That doesn't always work. You'll just be going along, basically the, the game will, the screen will twist and you're in battle mode, mm-hmm. um, which can be real pissy when you're searching for something or traveling back and forth a lot. The stories move forward as the player progresses through towns of dungeons. You go to towns, you buy equipment, you get given uh, missions and a mission or so, I'll go to this dungeon, do this, you go to dungeon, you travel through that, then you go to, and it leads you around places. Some citizens in towns will give you helpful, inf- helpful info, some sell items or equipment. Um, dungeons do appear in areas that include kind of forests, caves, mountains, swamps, like all the classic fantasy settings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Towns are your safe havens, you know? As we talked about this when we talked about Thaxanadu, is that in Final Fantasy, the towns are such safe havens, whereas in that game, conversely, they were fucked. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you can find treasure in dungeons that's often not available in stores. That's a big difference. You buy some things in stores in the dungeons, you're finding things that are worth the risk. Um, the game's menu screen allows you to keep track of your experience points and levels and to choose equipment and items and magic and all that kind of stuff. But the basic attribute is a character's level. That's the thing that if you bring it up, you get more powerful and you can you take less damage. Caps are 50 and it's determined by the character's amount of experience points. So gaining a level increases your maximum hit points and you, you gain experience points by winning battles. It's that simple. So the, the core of the RPG yeah. experience would be today. Yeah. Now, the thing that frustrated us here is combat's just menu-based. And it yeah. has been in Final Fantasy for years, but you have your party on one side, the enemy's party on the other side, and you take it in turns to select from a menu of, for each of your party, perform this move, be it an attack or a heal or whatever, on this other character, be it your party or them. Um, so that can be options such as attack, magic, or using an item like a potion. Battles are turn-based, and they continue until one side flees or is defeated. Uh, and if a party wins, each character will gain XP and also money. And if you die, game over. 
Yeah. Now, one of the big problems I found with this ad is you don't heal between battles, obviously. Yeah, there's certain things you have to do. You have to go to an inn, or you ha- you can buy things like tents, or even like wooden huts that you can put up in between battles, which will heal you. But yeah, you, you don't get a chance to restore between battles. You can you can obviously get your mage to heal you during the next battle, but it's a bit of a risk. So mm-hmm. takes up a turn, doesn't it? Exactly. So you begin by choosing four characters, and let me just say as well: in numbers and in power, you are often outnumbered and outpowered. So yeah, you begin by choosing four characters from a party, and you're locked into that choice for the whole game. Each character has a class, which is fighter, thief, black belt, red mage, white mage, and black mage. What did you go with, Ad? I had fighter, I had uh, black belt, uh, white mage, and a red mage, which I really regretted. Apparently, the red mage is like the pro choice. I have fighter, thief, black mage, white mage, which apparently is like the standard. That's like the one to do. It. Apparently, the thief once he evolves <laughs> into like the later character is is he's the man then. Um, so yeah, you, you can go undergo your class upgrade and the spike portraits do mature, which is kind of cool, and you gain new abilities and, and magic. So just, do you want to run through the, the classes? Quickly? Sure, yeah. So um, the fighter class is, is your basic tank character. So the basic, um, you know, knight slash character that you would get in, in any type of game like this. Um, so he's the one that you'd put, so you've got four character slots and they're sort of in uh, to order top to bottom. One, two, three, four. So you'd put your tank character in the top spot because likelihood is they're going to be targeted 50% of the time by the enemy. The second slot, 25% of the time, and then the other two, 12.5% each. So None of this is explained. Oh, no, you don't know that. You don't know that going in at all. Um, that's through experience. Um, putting the fighter here makes the most logical sense because he takes the most amount of hits and he's he's always going to be the one with the best armor, the most hit points. Um and yeah, he, then you've got like your mages, for example, and like supporting characters that want to stand on the side and fling yeah. love potions at you and stuff. And you know, it's it's cool that they've done this because obviously your fight is going to be in amongst it. He's going to be getting hit the most, whereas your mages they're, they're further away on the battlefield. Honestly, the way it ties into how like a D and D battle would play out, although visually it can't represent all of that, it's all thought about. It's all there. Like, oh yeah, the basics are there. So like I said earlier, we can't take too much away from this just because we didn't quite get on with the, the experience. Well, just because we're not nostalgic for it. And you need to, I think for this game, you need to be. You'd be better off, we'll talk about it later, but you'd be better off playing the remakes. Mm-hmm. Indeed, yeah. So uh, the fighter class then, once you get to uh, a certain point in the game, you can upgrade that to the knight class. Um, and that's the the growth that we talked about earlier. Um, second character to talk about is the black belt. Um, now this is the cheapest class to maintain um, because after level 10, they don't actually need any equipment on them, so they just use hand-to-hand. Um, they can become the strongest class in the game, but they've got poor magic defense, so it's a bit of a trade-off. Um, and they upgrade to the master. The thief... It's never bad to be a master of something. It's all, no, it's always very beneficial. <laughs> the thief is a sort of downgraded version of the fighter, but supposed to be able to escape combat with high agility. However, due to a bug in the game, that doesn't really seem to work so well. Um, but the game is buggy as all fucking hell. Um yeah, Thief's not that great to start, but later on he does become Ninja, which is Ganali. Well, they can use, super- yeah, they can use black magic spells level one to four, so they become sort of double useful, really. And yeah, and he has a very big power upgrade as Ninja as well. Mm, absolutely. Um, and let's talk about just the visuals of the characters here. We'll get into the mages and things in a second, but um, I think the sprites across the four characters that you pick and across the enemies really look good. They look ace, and the black mage is probably the most iconic of all of them. 
Yeah, with yeah, the blue, blue robe, the black face, and the, the the kind of wizardy hat. Like that's classic Final Fantasy material, right there. He looks like the thing out of He Man, He Man's little buddy. Um, I can't remember what his name is, but he looks kind of like that. But that when uh, they all upgrade, they also get visual upgrades as well, so you can see them physically growing as well, which is really really cool. Um, and I guess um, it it wasn't something that you you were seeing in RPGs prior to this and maybe some others around the same time, but certainly in the years before this, you weren't seeing that kind of thing. It was just text on screen. Um, So people seeing this for the first time would have had their minds blown, I think. Um, So mage characters um, are the other types of characters you can pick for your your squad. Um, And you can equip all of these characters with a variety of weapons, armor, items, um, and other things that you find around the the world to make them more powerful. each character has eight inventory slots with four for weapons and four for armor. And each of them actually have restrictions on what they can have equipped. So obviously your, your knight is going to have, or your fighter is going to have more propensity with like chainmail and stuff like that. Whereas your mage is going to have like cloth armor. Um, Love that cloth armor. <laughs> and at shop- That's a nice coat. <clears throat> this is not a coat. This, this, this is cloth armor. <laughs> Tis but cloth armor. I'm going to be using that from now on. Now, this is not a tunic. <laughs> Tis my cloth armor. How dare you? So magic uh, is a common ability in the game. So several character classes use it, uh, but the main ones are the mages. So um, the spells that you use are divided into two groups, and this is where the white mage and the black mage come into their own. So white, was a, which is a defensive and healing um, power, and black, which is debilitating and destructive. Now... You think that's a commentary on social de- seg- oh, segregation? God, I fucking hope not. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I really hope not. Uh, I hope it's more referencing light and dark. I, I'm pretty sure that's what they're going for, yes. I'm certainly going to stick to that as the narrative. Um, the magic can be bought from white and black magic shops and assigned to characters whose occupation allows them to use it, so um, the white and black mages. And the spells that they can use are classified uh, by a level between one and eight. Um, now I think again, none of this is explained. This is all, yeah, this is all stuff you have to figure out. Um, each of these characters can only learn three spells per level. Um, and white, again, none of this is explained. <laughs> and white and black mages can potentially learn any of their respective spells while red mages, the ninja and the knights cannot use most high level magic. So again, none of this is explained. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're basically figuring all of this out yourself. So I think, what I want to talk about here, though, is the fact that this is one of the first times where you're you're able to put your own party of ragtag warriors together and go out on an adventure and make your own story. It's phenomenal. It's cool as hell. The game's amazing. Like, there's no doubt about it. I can't... I'm not going to sit here and be like, this is a shit game. No, it's it's really it's not. It's clearly not. It's it's very important. It's very cool. Um, it's not... It's like, some games are important, but they're still a bit shit. This does hold up. I just think you need that... You, like... I, I personally, I don't have the nostalgia for the game. I don't really have any like connection to the franchise. Yeah, and I don't really care about classic RPGs. So there's nothing there for me. But I really appreciate it. And I think, I, I mean, I'm going to shout out Dave, who is a big supporter of the show and has been since day one. He, I know he's a big fan of Final Fantasy. Um, and I think there are a lot of people out there that you would really appreciate going back and checking this game out. Um, it's got a lot of bugs. It does have a lot of bugs. Um, certain things in the game, certain mechanics don't work so well. 
But I think... Like escaping from battles. Like that, like, yeah. That never fucking worked for me. And there's certain spells that you cast that don't do anything. Um, I, I hope you mentioned Dave, because Dave knows we're doing this show. He actually suggested the game. And what I hope that when he listens to this is he at least thinks we're fair. Because he knows I'm not going to be... He knew from day one I wouldn't be giving this a glowing, oh, this is like fucking amazing. I had a great week. But I hope he at least thinks we're being fair on it. I think it'd be impossible not to be fair because we can you can see how ambitious the project was and what they achieved with a small team is nothing short of a fucking miracle. Um, I know it's, it's, it's obviously going to have bugs if you've got that tight a timescale, that smaller team, but I think it's revolutionary and it, it sparked this whole new fucking genre almost like I, I can't say, say enough how important this game probably is to, you know, the way it's funny because it gets so much more credit than dragon quest, but yeah, well, dragon quest is another one we're going to look at. Of course, at some point still going, so that's cool. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's how successful and good they are. So that, that's a nice little segue onto reception actually. So how did the game fare when it came out on? Um, well, basically, really well. Uh, we said earlier that it, it sold 400,000 initially, but it eventually shipped over 520,000 copies of Japan. That's massive. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, Animal Crossing has shot, shipped 32 million, we just found out this week. Wow. So, which is mental. But numbers went as big then, but half a million is, is big times in a small country. Um, according to Square's publicity department, the Japanese Famicom and MSX releases, shout out MSX, Metal Gear. Um, sold a combined 600,000 copies, and the North American NES release sold 700,000 copies. Oof. So that's, you know, well over a million copies there. And as of March 31st, 2003, I don't know why that date, but the, <laughs> <laughs> the game, including all re-releases and remakes at the time, had shipped 2 million, basically, copies, um, with 1.12 million of those copies being shipped to Japan and 780,000 abroad. Wow. So th- then uh, there was a, a PSP version. Which, yeah, the PlayStation Portable version, which um, I believe is the best version to play. Yes, it's been ported a few times, hasn't it? It's also been ported from the PSP version, I think, is the version you can get on mobile now. Oh, cool. Okay. And shout out that this game, like, I bet we probably should have played this on mobile. It may have made sense, but I've heard like the PSP version uh, has changed quite a bit. So to keep it faithful okay. to the original, well, I think... We, 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 we were playing this. the original for playing the original sake, but... Yeah, quite. Um, the editors at IGN did a top NES games thing, and they gave it 11th, calling the game's class system diverse and praising its convenient use of vehicles as means of travelling across the world map. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Games Radar ranked it 8th best NES game ever made. <sighs> the staff felt that while Dragon Warrior introduced gamers to the genre, Final Fantasy popularised it. I think that's the key, isn't it? Exactly. That's what I was trying to say earlier. Was Okay, they didn't create the genre, but they certainly brought it to the forefront. Um, 2004, Readers Retro Gamer, which is a big magazine over here, um, voted for Final Fantasy the 93rd top retro game. And that's high because you top retro gamer covers fucking every game post PS2, basically, uh, as this show. Um, with staff noting that despite poor visuals, and, re- and I disagree with that, to be honest, um, a relatively simple quest, many still consider the original to be the best, with the exception of Final Fantasy VII. And that's funny because the people I know who really like Final Fantasy reckon that four or six are the best, and eight is better than seven, and, mm. and one doesn't really come near the top for the best stories of the best game but it's you know it's up there it's the metal gear to metal gear solid yeah 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 yeah. so yeah there's all sorts of these like game facts made a similar list where they rank final fantasy 76th 
So it's, it's think, always there. It's always on that list. Yeah, it's it's always it's featuring high across the board, basically. And, and were saying. this show similar to Jared Petty's podcast, the top 100 video games of all time, I anticipate it would appear on there. I th- I'm pretty sure it bloody would. Yeah, it's it's certainly uh, a very hell, very important mate. game. Bloody hell, mate! Um, so that's yeah, that's that's been our review of Final Fantasy, and I'm I'm glad we looked at that. It's it's been a hefty show. We're an hour in, uh, probably our longest show this series. Um, well, definitely our longest show this series. Now, Metal Gear, we ran over to like an hour and twenty, I think. Shit, did we? Fuck. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we actually played the game. <laughs> Does make a difference. Um, no, I did play this game. I just I, I went balls deep into Metal Gear. I spent hours on that fucking thing. We've been we've been fair with this though. I think we we've given it the time it deserved. We've done the right research. Um, and what I can say is just just go and check this out. If you're at all a fan of RPGs, JRPGs, anything like that, just just check it out and probably play the ported version, of course. But yeah, and even even if you don't want to play it, go and check out someone like Pro Jared over on YouTube. Who who's got some discussions about it with some gameplay and yeah, he's really good actually. He gives a really good overview of it. Um, yeah, and I just think that like educate yourself about this game because it's important. Exactly. Well, yeah, check it out, guys. So that's been uh, our final episode of season two of that eight bit shit show. I hope you've enjoyed uh-huh. the series. Final. final. <laughs> hey, I hope you've enjoyed the series, and um, we've still got one big episode to come so it's not the final final episode we've got the after party and we've got some big big things to discuss on the after party so we're going to be talking about what's coming up on season three and we're also going to be talking to you about our ranking and rating system for all of the games we've played so far so tune in for that next week it's going to be big and uh it's going to be a good show tom thank you very much for joining me as always and if you guys have enjoyed the show head over to happyhourgaming.net we can find links to all episodes of season one and two of the 8-Bit Shit Show, along with a host of other gaming and movie-related content and a link to get involved and chat with us on Discord. You can also find us on Twitter at Happy Gaming Hour, and if you're feeling generous, do buy us a beer on Patreon. It's much appreciated over at patreon.com slash happyhourgaming. I want to interject. Oh. There's an announcement we haven't made that I want to make now. We're going to be making the announcement big time next week, but I want people to start filtering over that we currently post all of our shows over on an RSS feed from SoundCloud. We do. We are spinning out that 8-Bit Shit Show. It will still be part of Happy Hour Gaming, but it's going to have its own RSS feed from next month. That RSS feed currently already exists. Fuck knows how you find it. But, uh, <laughs> we're info. going to be upgrade. We, we are going to be updated. If you just search that 8-Bit Shit Show on your podcast provider, you can find an exclusive feed that just gives you this show. So if you don't care about Ken's 6 out of 10 club, my happy hour gaming podcast. If you don't care about all that stuff, you just want to listen to the retro gaming show, you can go and sub up to that. And I don't know, Ad, if season three is even going to appear on the main feed. Fair enough. I'm That'll cool be with down that. to back end, Matt. That'll be down to back end, Matt. Well, this is this is show is devi- devised for fans of retro gaming or introducing people to retro gaming and its history. So, yeah, having its own feed. So begin That's your transitioning fun. now. Indeed. Thank you for listening, everyone, and we will catch you again for the after party. Thank you, man. Cheers, Tom. <laughs>